It's been about a month since the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada was decided, and now Albertans are voting yet again for the United Conservative Party leadership. Today, I'm joined by Cameron Wilson, uh, political coordinator for the Wilberforce Project, talk all things UCP, leadership, um, and a few other provincial pro-life components as well. Stay tuned. Hi, folks. My name is Cam. I am the host of the Pro-Life Guys podcast, a show dedicated to equipping you with the tools that you need to have compassionate and compelling conversations about abortion so that together we can change minds, save lives, and transform culture. Thank you for tuning in. For those of you on YouTube, apologies for the dark and dusty basement. Yet again, I am still at home helping the transition from one child up to two children, um, which means that I am still in my basement doing recordings down here because my conventional office space is right beside uh, my daughter's room. And so um, I get excited sometimes on podcasts and I don't want to be waking her up as I'm shouting about um, pro-life apologetics or politics, whatever it may be. Um, you'll notice over the next couple of weeks here that there are going to be a lot of bonus episodes uh, pertaining to politics. I know that different people weigh in on politics in different way. I certainly weigh in differently than many of the people that I know in the pro-life movement. Um, and that's cool. We're all in this to save babies, um, whatever your second, third, fourth, fifth, whatever um, other voting issues are. We can have conversations about them as well, but I think that for the majority of people listening to this show, certainly for myself and for Maddie Halleck, my incredible friend, colleague, and producer, um, very high on our ballot, if not the very top of our ballot, is going to be um, as it pertains to the life issue and, and abortion being paramount therein. And so today's episode, I'm going to talk to a very good friend of mine, Cameron Wilson. He is the political coordinator for the Wilberforce Project. Um, I was going to say AKA, but formerly known as, the artist formerly known as, um, not Prince, but rather um, Alberta Pro-Life. And so Cam Wilson has been with Alberta Pro-Life for a very long time. I've been very familiar with Alberta Pro-Life and the Wilberforce Project for a very long time, having served on their board of directors for several years. There. I'm no longer on their board of directors. Um, they have much wiser and uh, better looking people than I am um, for that. They're an incredible organization based in Alberta here, and they focus on the nomination and election, as well as in part the lobbying of politicians in Alberta. A very cool organization. Um, I've been friends with Cam for a very long time. And today we're going to be talking a lot about the United Conservative Party and their leadership race. As some of our listeners might know, Jason Kenney, formerly a member of parliament federally for Canada, um, has for the last couple of years, I want to say, been the premier, the leader of the region of Alberta, the province of Alberta for all of our non-Canadian um, guests. He's been the, the premier of, of Alberta and he was recently stepped down as the leader of the United Conservative Party, the party that is holding government right now. And so there's a leadership race on the go. You might be wondering, why am I continually doing political um, episodes? Well, I think this is often our entry point into conversations about abortion. For many people, this is where the conversation starts. Something that they read in the news, something they heard on the radio, something they saw online, and this is how we start having the conversation by talking from here into the abortion issue. Why do you think this politician holds this view or this, huh, this politician holds this view on abortion? Where are you at on the abortion issue? And so that said, we can't be weird 
in our pivot. It can't be a matter of like, oh, huh, yeah, Jason Kenny removed. What do you think about abortion? That comes across as weird. That is socially inept for many of us. And so um, what we want to do is to be able to have a half normal conversation about politics, regardless of whether you care about politics or not, regardless of whether you're involved in politics or not. Um, I have been kicking and screaming since I got involved in the pro-life movement because a lot of things sooner or later tie in, at least in one way or another, to politics eventually. And so uh, maybe this episode isn't going to be exactly your bread and butter. What I'm going to say, please tune in because, as I mentioned, this kind of information regardless of whether you agree with it all or not, is going to help you be informed in the beginning parts of your conversations with your friends, with your colleagues, with your coworkers. Yes, if you're a street activist, you're probably not going to lead an abortion-related conversation by what do you think about the UCP leadership race right now. But that is a very, very soft entry point into many of those other contexts that I mentioned. It can be weird sitting across the table from your coworker, just looking up from your peanut butter and jam sandwich, if you're still allowed peanut butter in your office, and saying like, hey, what do you think about abortion? So often pro-life apologists, I'm sure myself included, talk about like, oh, well, you could broach the topic by asking like, hey, what were you up to this weekend? Or what kind of podcasts are you into? Well, me? Thank you for asking. I am into the Pro-Life Guys podcast. Like Again, that that is socially manipulative and people are going to see that and not be offended by it, but they're going to be weirded out by it more likely than not. And so a better course of topics at times can be broaching the topic along the lines of something that you may have read in the news, heard on the radio, something like that. At times, it'll even be them bringing it up. Maybe they're the one reading the paper or crushing their phone and they're the ones who throw out like, what is the UCP going to do next? Jason Kenny's gone. Is it going to be a revolving door or something like that? And that's that might be your in with a little bit of information about the leadership race to pivot from a politics conversation into more of an explicitly pro-life conversation. Um, and so that's why we're having these conversations will be this this week. We're going to have lots more conversation about what's going on in Michigan and other places around the world as well. Uh, but without further ado, my conversation with Cam Wilson, political coordinator for the Wilberforce Project. All right, folks, Cam Wilson from the Wilberforce Project. Cam Wilson, how you doing, bud? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I am looking forward to this, um, partly because this is a great way to catch up. You and I have both been so busy over the last couple of years, especially since you moved up to Edmonton to work for the Wilberforce Project, um, that while my liver has recovered significantly since you moved out of Calgary, um, it, it has definitely been a friendship loss. And so uh, I'm counting this as not only a cool time to talk about Alberta politics, but also um, talk about, catch up a little bit. How is life? How is life up in Edmonton? It's great. I mean, the uh, uh, recently I was really blessed. My wife and I were blessed to have a, a baby girl, just like you I had a baby boy recently. So you know, it's quite a it's quite a blessing. It's quite amazing, really, to to experience firsthand just all what we're fighting about and what we're fighting to accomplish. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I'm going to share a quick anecdote before we dive into this camp because um, it's my podcast and I get to do that sometimes. Um, I, I often talk about both yourself and Jonathan as two of my most unlikely friends. Um, you were a, a groomsman in my wedding. I was a groomsman in your wedding. Um, I remember when I first met you, I did not think that we were going to hit it off at all because uh, we, we went for a double date um, at a pub in Calgary and you talked about politics the whole time and I did not want anything to do with politics at the time. 
And then you and I participated in a cross Canada pro-life tour and we got stuck in the same vehicle for like a 12 hour run in Vancouver during which we talked about like every sporting event that happened over the last 25 years. And I knew that we would be great friends. And so, um, it's been a, an honor to call you a, a comrade in in the uh, movement. Um, I'm sure there's lots of stories that um, shouldn't go on air from the two of us in in the condo and what else. Um, but now you are the uh, political coordinator for the Wilberforce Project, which used to be called Alberta Pro Life. You guys have since taken a more um, kind of focused effort in provincial politics. And and though this might be a pretty elementary question to some of our our listeners. Um, I wondered if you could just kind of bring us up to speed a little bit on why provincial politics matter for the pro-life issue, because as many people who might only hear about it um, in newspapers and sound bites and whatnot, it might just be a matter of abortion is a federal issue. Abortion has to be handled on a federal level. Um, there's not really any point for political politics, uh, political politics, provincial politics, as it pertains to the pro-life issue. Obviously, that's incorrect because you are leading an organization that, that is dedicated to exactly that. So bring me up to speed and bring our, our listeners up to speed on why politics matter at a provincial level for the pro-life movement. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a great question. Everyone and, and the traditional answer and from provincial politicians who have been wanting to dodge the question from pro-lifers uh, about what we they can do to uh, save human lives on a provincial level has been, oh, the criminal law is a federal matter. So the federal talk to your federal politicians about it. The province isn't allowed to do anything. And which is it's a dodge because, yes, we can only criminalize abortion on the federal level. It's the criminal code. That's the exclusive purview of the federal government, according to our constitution. But our constitution gives the jurisdiction over health care and jurisdiction over family law and jurisdiction over a whole host of issues to the province. So, for example, the question of whether or not abortion is funded by taxpayers is actually a provincial question, not a federal question. So well, we can attack abortion funding because there's no need for uh, everyone in a society, even those who recognize abortion for what it is, the killing of an innocent human being, uh, to be forced to pay for the abortions that they so deeply disagree with. There's no reason for that. And yet that is the case right now because the, the, the other side of the, of the movement has been very successful at ingraining itself into provincial politics and has created that monopoly where all the decisions are made in, in a particular direction. So fighting back against that political monopoly is very important. So there's, that's one big one. Another big one is parental notification for abortion. Right now, in order to get a Tylenol or an ibuprofen for your 13-year-old in school, uh, the nurse has to get parental consent. But to direct her to get an abortion, there's no legal requirement for parental consent or even for the parents to be notified that it's happened. This extraordinarily significant event in the life of their child can take place without the parents even being made aware that it happened. Uh, and a, a third thing that we can do on the provincial level is informed consent laws. So laws making sure that women understand the consequences of abortion and they understand uh, what abortion is and what abortion is being performed on, right? It's being performed on a human being uh, at, you know, after I think it's 21 days, there's a discernible heartbeat. After 40 days, I want to say, there's a there's brainwaves. Um, these facts, they're not made aware of. And so by simply making them aware of these facts, by allowing them to see 
ultrasound of what abortion is and who it's willing to be performed on, you can change a lot of minds. A lot of people see these this information, it humanizes the child, and they realize that they don't, in fact, want to kill the child. They're willing to, to, to make the sacrifices in their life uh, because that's a, the right thing to do. So these are all things that we can do on the provincial side. Absolutely. I love it. And and I love a lot of kind of the way that you have helped navigate and explain this to pro-lifers um, through presentations that you've given throughout, throughout Alberta, because you guys have an incredible network of pro-lifers throughout Alberta. I know that you um, have people tuning in from outside of Alberta as well. Maybe one quick question, because I love the way that you respond to this. Um, and I've heard you do it on dozens of occasions. Before we dive into the the provincial politics that are happening right now with the UCP leadership and, and kind of provincial politics in general, um, a, a question I feel like the media throws to people like you all the time regarding parental consent is, you know, parental consent on such a controversial issue is important to withhold because what if that 13 year old girl goes home to her parents tells them or, or the her parents are notified about the abortion decision and she goes home to an abusive family or she goes home and and has physical or emotional abuse repercussions that is why we need abortion to be to be anonymous even for high school students i, I love the way that you often respond what what is your go-to response to help people understand that keeping parents out of the loop on such a fundamental and and um, pivotal decision in a child's life, the way that you protect those 13, 14, 15-year-old girls is not by keeping their parents out of the loop, but rather by keeping them in the loop. What is your go-to response on that kind of pushback from the media? Yeah, and, and it's a, it, it sounds very convincing as an argument. Everybody wants to protect 15-year-olds who are at risk of being abused from being abused. That's, that's a universal goal in the pro-life and pro-choice movement, right? Everyone agrees that's a good thing. Uh, and the thing that we need to remember is the problem in this situation is not parental rights, but parental abuse. Uh, and so... Why don't, instead of creating a situation where we hide more people, hide more possible triggers of abuse, why don't we just simply do more to protect them from abuse? Rather than erode the, uh, the support network of good families, of, of, uh, of girls being raised in good families, why don't we uh, build up the supports for those who aren't in those families? Because overwhelming majority of families love their children, want what's best for their children, and their involvement in the lives of their children is what's going to be best for that child. And so that's, that's the way to approach it, is more resources to protect against abuse, not undermining parental authority. Absolutely. Bang on. I, lo I love the way that you friend. I love the way that you all often talk about how the infrastructure for protecting these um, these vulnerable high school students is already there, right? That, that we already have the infrastructure because that it, it's not like pregnancy is the only trigger for these abusive families to spiral into abuse, right? It could be a, a poor report card. We're not going to say that we're not going to tell parents how their kids are doing in school be um, regarding their, their grades because a parent might become abusive towards their child. Um no, no, <laughs> I love the way that you put it. We're not going to hide more things on um, from good parents because of a very small number of very um, tragic and terrible parenting situations that need to be addressed with the current mechanisms and infrastructure that's in place. And so that's bang on. I'm curious, what has your experience been like? So, so you um, haven't always worked for TWP. Obviously, TWP hasn't always done political politics. What has it been like getting into the realm of political politics? I know that you've always had a, a passion for politics. Has it been 
what you expect. Has it been the the late at night pub, dusty pub corners where you're you're having secret meetings? Has it been the the official um, unveiling of signatures? What has it been like working in provincial politics as we move towards what it's looking like right now with the UCP um, leadership nomination? Yeah, I, I what I like to say about. Uh being involved in politics and being involved in campaigns as you, you do a lot of everyday fat things with a really deep sense of urgency. Uh, so you, you know, you're working against deadlines all the time. So suddenly you find yourself photocopying a hundred things, you know, uh, as if the province depends on it because the province might actually depend on it. Right? Like, and so you find yourself with a lot of urgency doing very, very everyday, uh, everyday things, knocking on doors with urgency, making phone calls with urgency. Um, and that's, that's really what it is. And there's all, all of those uh, fun pub meetings with people. And then it's going out and hitting the doors, and making the phone calls and interacting with people, building relationships. And that's the part of it that actually uh, I think is, the most interesting is the people that you get to meet while doing this work. I had the absolute honor and privilege of uh, meeting a young, uh, a lady who came to Canada from China and who was actually a part of the Tiananmen Square protests. She was there at Tiananmen Square. Uh, and, you know, I'm sitting here complaining about, you know, persecution on campus because, you know, I don't, I don't, and she's like, you know, nodding along and then she drops the bomb of Tiananmen Square on me. And I kind of felt like a bit of a wuss for, for the things that I thought were a serious persecution. <laughs> uh, but it's like the absolute honor of being able to meet these people. And these people are still involved. I mean, this, this, yeah, this, uh, this lady is one of the, the, uh, the most involved in the politics of Canada, a uh, person that I've ever met. It's like one of the most involved, right? She, she knows that it matters in Canada as much as it matters in China, and she's willing to make the same sacrifices here and there. And then that is just such an honor to meet people with that kind of dedication and that kind of uh, courage. So, yeah, yeah. absolutely. The, the people of the pro-life movement are, are absolutely the gems and, and certainly far exceed making up for the negative interactions that we might have on a doorstep or on a street corner kind of thing. Um, I, I often talk about how you don't get into the pro-life movement to make friends, but the friends that you make while you're in the pro-life movement are second to none. And so maybe maybe let's dive in a little bit deeper into the, the general approach to nominations, because I feel like for a lot of people, they're very familiar with the lobbying component. I know that you do some degree of lobbying with current sitting MLAs in um, the legislature of Alberta here. And, and I know that this is obviously for our listeners, a, a conversation very focused on Alberta politics, but I obviously many of these principles, if not all of them, are going to extend not only to the other provinces of Canada, but presumably to many states and other regions around the world. But maybe let's talk a little bit about the nomination process, because this is a, a grind that you've been involved in um, on, on a number of campaigns. What goes into getting somebody actually voting for pro-life stuff in, in legislature? What, what are the steps that as a pro-life organization and as a pro-life um, advocate and volunteer such as yourself, how do you approach getting a candidate that you think can make change actually sitting in a chair where they can make that change, I guess? Yeah. And the big, the, the, the first question you always ask is who can you run? Because you can't beat somebody with nobody. So, I mean, you, you, as much as there are many pro anti-life candidates that I want to see gone, if I don't have a candidate to run against them, it's not going to work. So that's the first step is finding people who are uh, politically inclined. They don't have to be experts in politics. They don't even have to be super involved in politics. They just have to be inclined and willing to learn. 
Um, so that's the first step is find a, find a candidate. And then once you've found a candidate, you get involved in what we're talking about, the nomination process. And that's the process by which a political party decides who their candidate is going to be in a given area. So most of us have the experience of going to vote in a general election and you find, you know, the conservative candidate in your area or the whatever Christian Heritage Party candidate, libertarian, whatever you're going to vote for in your area. And then you put the check mark or the X beside that name and you submit it. But how does that name end up on the ballot for that party? And that's the nomination. And the way this nomination works is there's a mini election where only the members of the party in the area, in the riding is what it's called, um, are allowed to vote. And the winner of the mini election then becomes the candidate in the general election. So you, you've got your candidate. Now you need to get him to win the nomination, right? Win that mini election. And the way you do that is by getting him to go out to all his friends and family and making sure they all have a membership in the, in the party that he's running for in the area. Uh, and then you go to the, the networks that agree with you, you know, the pro-lifers, maybe the, the guy might be a pro-gun gentleman or whatever the other things that they agree with. Uh, and they build that coalition of all the things that that candidate believes in, get them all to take out memberships. And then you go door to door. And that's the long slog is sending them door to door to tens of thousands of doors with the knowledge that one in a hundred doors is going to buy a membership. But you know, uh, if you get to enough doors, that actually means that you can sell the 1,000 memberships or so that you need to win the nomination. And then you're the candidate in the area. And so that's the big one. So getting that candidate nominated. And then in about 75% of Alberta ridings, the candidate who's nominated for the Conservatives or the United Conservatives will go on to win the general election. So that's the yeah the, the way to go. <laughs> Once you get that nomination in the general. So, yeah. It's all downhill once you get that name on the ballot. And and I love how you and your colleague Stephanie and, and all of the other colleagues that you have over at uh, TWP, the Wilberforce Project, are so laser focused in on that. We need to get the right people on the ballot so that the right people get elected. Because like you said, for a lot of people, it's a no brainer who they're going to elect come general election time that we did four years of the NDP, uh, where uh, Lord help us that we never have four more years of the NDP. Um, and so a lot of people already have that, but how do you get the right person in the office? I think that's bang on. And, and it's a grind. I, I think that I, I've talked to enough of, of our own interns, CSPR interns who have had the, the allure of politics at times enter into their mind and and not really appreciate um, just how difficult it was. I, I remember even door knocking for a fella riding in, in um, Calgary Confederation, um, Len Weber. Um, I, I don't know why I was door knocking for the guy because he didn't end up doing anything for the pro-life movement. But but it was kind of a, if I can get Len Weber elected, then maybe other pro-life candidates in the in the Conservative Party could actually do something good. He had no idea how hard it was to get elected, and he had not budgeted enough time to be able to do the door knocking. And don't get me wrong, our CSPR door knockers, um, they, they haul over the summer, but like we knocked on 2,500 doors this year um, amongst our team of around 10 or 12 people. Um, and, and that was a new record for Calgary door knocking. You had two interns. I would be surprised if you more than doubled the number of doors that, that you guys knocked on. And so that is the grind that politics goes through, meeting people, making a, a connection with people in the area and, and fostering some degree of relationship because 
most people don't have it on their radar to renew their political affiliation, let alone take one out in the first place. And so what does that conversation look like on a doorstep when you're trying to get somebody to buy a membership to a political party that maybe they voted for over and over and over again? Do you find that you're having to explain the political process to them entirely? Is it a, a slam dunk if you can get somebody who votes UCP? What does that conversation look like at a doorstep to get somebody to take on a membership in a political party um, for a particular candidate? So the advice I always give candidates is take a petition with you as you go door to door. Uh, and so say you take a petition on uh, parental rights and education is a great one because it's a great, uh, a, a great key. And most people who take it, who, who care about that issue, really care about that issue. Uh, and so you bring parental rights and education and you go to the door and you ask them if they want to sign it. You introduce yourself. You say you're running for the, the riding. Do you want to? You know, running for the nomination in this area, do you want to sign this petition? And if they say yes and start signing it, you now have about a minute and a half to make the pitch to them, right? Because they're trying to figure out what's where things are, what their email address is. You know, you've got that minute and a half now, or they're a captive audience. Uh, and the the exact pitch that you use is going to change a little bit depending on who you're talking to, right? But typically it starts off with, hey, so as I told you, I'm running for the nomination. And the way that's going to work is there's going to be a mini election in this riding where only the members of the party in the riding are able to vote. Uh, as you know, I'm a big fan of parental rights and education. I'm going around. I'm the activist who's bringing this information this to the, to the legislature now. And I'm not even I'm not even your member. And I'm bringing this to, the, to their doorstep. Um, so if you want to see somebody who shares your values here. In the legislature, I encourage you to take out a membership so that we can, uh, so that we you can vote for me at the at the nomination, and then I can become your elected representative and bring this stuff and fight for the stuff from the floor of the legislature. Uh, and then you know, uh, depending on how it goes, sometimes they'll be like, "Yeah, that's a good one." You know, that's a good ar argument. I'm not sure though whether I'm willing to take out a membership. Aren't all conservatives in support of that? And then the, the second line I always like to drop is, "Well, you know." Conservatives, I think, uh, usually people agree that we have the right values, but where we sometimes lose is we get the wrong people to represent our values. And the nomination is about making sure that the party members select the right person to represent these values. And if you think that's me, if you think that somebody like me would be good for uh, representing those values, then you need to take out a membership to make sure that we get this decision right on the local level. And that's, Love it. You know, love it. I, I know there's... there's there's a ton more that you could throw into that, I'm, I'm sure. Um, last question I want to ask you before we dive into the particulars of the UCP leadership right now. Um, and, and maybe we'll talk towards the end of the episode about why we're having a UCP leadership and why Jason Kenney is not um, continuing on as leader. We can talk about that towards the end because um, I'm sure many of our uh, audience members have a, a very strong opinion about that as well. Last one I want to ask you uh, is kind of a, a a weird question, I suppose, is kind of like the vetting process for for how you know the candidate is the right candidate. And, and the reason I ask that, so I think more and more conservative candidates are realizing that pro-lifers are passionate. Pro-lifers are very good at doing high volume of quality outreach. And so I've had a number of, of politicians reach out to me, take me out for coffee, take me out for lunch, take me out for dinner, and try to wine and dine me to agree to get our volunteers to help them out with their campaign because they realize that, that our, our volunteers drop off tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of, of pro-life literature every year. They're best at mapping and door knocking and they're comfortable with all of this stuff. A number of times I've had people sit me down and be like, hey, so you guys are a pro-life group. You guys have the best volunteers out there and I, I want you guys to help out my campaign. And and I'm, I am through and through pro-life. And, and that is evidenced by the fact that I have two children, right? Like what more do I need to say? 
I have two children. Clearly, I'm pro-life. Please sign up all of your volunteers to be my my campaign managers and volunteers. I'm like, okay, well, that's cool that you have two kids, but like, I'm going to need a little bit more than that before uh, before I'm willing to to help out. Let alone before I'm willing to pass over uh, or encourage any of my volunteers. What does that vetting process look like for you as the the leader of a pro-life organization literally dedicated towards this. How do you guys figure out who is worth backing and who is not worth backing, I guess? So for the most part, we don't back candidates in a, in a big way, like putting any real resources towards candidates that we didn't recruit. There's a handful of exceptions, but unless we recruited it, we'll be like, yeah, it's great. You're pro-life. We'll tell people that you're pro-life, but like, let's, let's face it. We're not going to put the, the, put the resources towards this because you've gotten into politics for other things and that's good but our resources can go into in a better direction um, so that's our first typical step is we, we find we like to recruit our own candidates uh, and there's a handful of exceptions of people who come to us and you know they they let us know just how pro-life they are and you, they typically will have a voting record already uh, of some type that is solidly pro-life and you know those types of things but other than that it's like you know the the big thing is Sometimes there are some people who come to us who want to run who are not really the right people to run. Uh, you, they need a different disposition to be able to be effective in politics. And that's the, 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 the weeding process of trying to convince them that they're probably more useful to the pro-life movement taking a different tack. Um, but with the main... With, you know, somebody running for leadership of the UCP, we haven't recruited anybody to run for the leadership of the UCP this time around. Uh, no, one, no one we approached was interested. Um, the, what, the way I generally do it is I, I, realize, I ask, what does the pro-life movement need right now? Right? Uh, and this cycle, what we really want is a bill on conscience rights some sort of limited bill on conscience rights, even if it's just you, the nation doesn't cover effective referral, get that bedrock bill in that we can then improve later. Well, let's get that fun foundational thing. And when you drop that bomb on them, of this is what we want right now. And if they squirm right away, you know that they're not really going to be hardcore for you later down the road, right? When it comes to issues like defunding parental notification, they're not going to be on board at all if they squirm on this one. Um, and, and then you just read them and watch them. Uh, but you make that big, big first ask and see where they stand on it. Gotcha. I think I think that makes a ton of sense. And, and that helps you figure out. And especially, like you said, when they've got a voting record, when they've got uh, more um, background on it. And then seeing, yeah, how their face kind of melts when, when you start asking about um, whether or not... Um, they think early term abortions are appropriate or not, or, or how would how would you navigate a media question about this particular thing? And and as soon as you start hearing, they're like, well, obviously, like sexual assault and, and life of the mother, we're going to have to make some exceptions for those. OK, well, there's some major red flags going up early. And so I, I appreciate the amount of kind of research that goes into it. And, and let's translate that into the current UCP leadership race. And so Jason Kenney has. Um, done a kind of non-confidence kind of vote in a stepping down. I'm sure that there's better language for that. And we currently have a UCP leadership um, nomination coming up here, though we are done on buying memberships. And so I, if memory serves correct, I, people can no longer purchase memberships. But tell me a little bit about what's going on in the leadership race right now. If Again, if memory serves correct, we've got four candidates that are all vying for the leadership. Um, I can only ever remember three of them being Daniel Smith, um, Brian Jean, 
um, Travis Taves, and I always forget the last one, um, which is tough because I know that he's somebody that, that should be on a ballot, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Tell me what's going on with the United Conservative leadership and and where things are at and what we should be thinking about as we're considering um, for those who are membership holding UCP members, but also those who might want to get involved. Maybe they didn't get their memberships in time. Maybe they don't even live in Alberta, but they want to help out with some phone calling or other things like that. What is going on? What do we need to know about it? So there are, so actually there are six candidates, uh, but only four are really of worth, worth noting. So the, 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 there are three that are pro-life and two that are really good. So the top two are uh, Travis Taves and Todd Lowen. Uh, and then after that, you know, I put in Brian Jean. He's, uh, you know, he'll self-describe as pro-life, and he's actually run a pretty darn good campaign thus far. He's been unapologetically in defense, uh, defending uh, the freedom of conscience. Like he hasn't at all wavered on that throughout this campaign, and so he's run a pretty good campaign. Actually, I've really liked his his policies. But those are the top three, uh, and then we've got you know the the, the bottom list. There's uh, uh, Rebecca Schultz, uh, Rajan Sahani, I believe her name is. And uh, Leela Leela here here and Daniel Smith, yeah. And Daniel Smith. So seven total. Seven total. uh, Yeah, seven maybe, yeah. Seven total. And uh, of those, the worst is Leela here without question. She, for reasons that are inexplicable by any political or moral logic, uh, she decided that she was going to come out against the overturning of Roe v. Wade in Alberta politics. Uh, Okay. Spicy. As a, as a general rule, you shouldn't be commenting on politics in another country uh, when you're representing your own area. You, there's no winning in that. Um, but she decided to do that, and she's been, you know, pro-lifers are crazy. Pro-lifers are uh, all sorts of mean and nasty things. Uh, thankfully, she probably, or hopefully, is going to lose her nomination. So if you live in that area, make sure you have a membership uh, because there's no nomination in that. And we have a really awesome pro-life candidate in Chantel who's running there, who I strongly encourage people to support and to volunteer for if you're at all in the Calgary area. She is uh, an excellent, high-quality candidate. Um, so there's Leela at the bottom. Then I put Danielle Smith. Danielle Smith self-describes as pro-abortion. She has, I mean, throughout the whole campaign, she has twisted and dodged in an attempt to make it look like she's pro-life and make it look like she'll give us the things that we want without ever actually committing to it. Like on conscience rights, for example, uh, she, we have an email from her where she says she opposed, opposes conscience rights and opposed conscience rights on the floor of the UCP AGM when it was voted on by the memberships and passed by the membership overwhelmingly at the last AGM that she opposed that. Um, and so the real question with Danielle Smith is not only is she hostile on all our values, but all the things that she has told people like us, we have to ask the question of, can she be believed? Because a lot of people want to overlook her long series of betrayal, betrayals on this, right? This is not, this is not a new thing. She has been doing this for a long time. She has said one thing and done another thing for her entire career in Alberta politics. And that that uh, behavior pattern didn't stop when she crossed the floor. It's continued on since then. I mean, she made a promise after that, she, that so long as she remained married to her current husband, she would never get involved in Alberta politics again. Well, that's another lie. She said she wasn't going to go back to media. Well, that was another lie. I mean, 
there's at, at this point in time, it's easier to find uh, it's easier to find the things that she lied about in Alberta politics than the things that she's told the truth about what she was going to do. <laughs> Uh, it's bizarre yeah. that she has somehow become the candidate of integrity, uh, given her track record on all of this stuff. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's uh, gotcha. That's Which really is wild because I, I talk to people regularly um, who are obviously very, very um, invested into free speech, freedom of, mm -hmm. of lots of different kind of expression and that kind of thing. And and many of them that I know are hardcore pro-lifers are rallying behind Daniel Smith somehow in, in a way similar to, to on the federal level, how they're rallying behind Pierre um, mm -hmm. when they have a, a significantly better candidate that they have an option for. And so why are so many pro-lifers even thinking about Danielle Smith? Like, is it just complete amnesia about her entire political history? Or what is it that is drawing people in? And how do we kind of break that? I mean, you, you've done a good job of it so far, but but how do we break that narrative that somehow she is going to be the, the freedom-loving um, conservative Christian value holder with the cowboy hat and the dusty jeans and everything that we've been looking for? How do we kind of break that idea for pro-lifers that are rallying behind her because of some statements about whether it's Freedom Convoy stuff or otherwise, um, and and help them wake up and realize that not only do we have decent candidates that that hold very similar views on these other peripheral issues, but particularly on the pro-life issue, this person has proclaimed themselves to be pro-abortion, like you said, and, and somebody who has a proven track record of not supporting or defending life in any capacity, even when it's easy, even when she has majority behind her. This isn't a matter of cowardice. This is simply a matter of completely rejecting the pro-life worldview. Why are people enamored by Daniel Smith and how do we help pop that bubble, I guess? Yeah, I mean, there's a, a famous saying from Julius Caesar, men will believe what they want to believe, right? Uh, and I, I understand that inclination. I want Dan, I want to be able to trust Danielle Smith because a lot of the things that she's saying, like pro-life sides stuff aside, a lot of that stuff is actually stuff that really resonates with me. Um, and I really, really want it to be true, for example, that she wouldn't have thrown pastors in jail during COVID. I really want it to be true. Uh, but I don't believe it. It's easy to say that when you had when you weren't in office at that time that you wouldn't have done it. But if you don't if you support throwing Christian doctors out of their profession for being Christian because they refused to perform euthanasia, I have a hard time believing that you would have stood up for Christian pastors being thrown in jail because of how they believe because they believe that that's what Christ had called them to do to stand up. I have a hard time seeing that if you're going to support the, that first thing, that you would have actually done something about that second thing. I think that she's only saying that because she knows that's a message that sells. And it sells for a good reason. Everybody recognized, I think almost everybody recognized, uh, that there was something wrong with the approach of the government when pastors were being thrown in jail. And that was the first thing, instead of any attempt to, uh, to deal with the situation in a reasonable way where... You know, where we, we figured it out rather than throwing religious leaders in prison. But I just don't think that Danielle Smith would have done that. I mean, Danielle Smith is the person who threw uh, threw a Baptist pastor out of her out of the party, out of out of his uh, uh, disqualified him as a Wild Rose candidate for saying something that a Baptist pastor says. Right. And he made the comment during the 2012 provincial election or 
half dozen years before that, uh, that there's the he quoted the Bible about the lake of fire that awaits those who are sinners. And that was in the context of a, uh, of a, a sermon on homosexuality, which, I mean, this is not Baptist pastors saying that sinners go to hell is not newsworthy. So either Baptist pastors are allowed in your party or they're not allowed in your party. Uh, but you can't say that a Baptist pastor who says something the Baptist pastor says is somehow beyond the pale if you're also going to say that this is the party that allows people with that worldview to participate in it. And the fact is, under Danielle Smith, that is not the kind of thing that uh, the candidates are going to have allowed to have been, are going to have allowed to have thought at some point in the past. Um, yeah. And so my encouragement is, as you said, there are other candidates who support those those things. Todd Lowen stood stood against the government, actually, the recent government uh, of, of Jason Kenney. He got tossed out of the party for standing against his restrictions on freedom, for standing against all of those good things that we that we all agree with Daniel Smith on. He also represents it and he's pro-life. So I encourage you, if, if, that, if her message resonates with you, vote Todd Lowen number one. And then down ballot, vote for the person who opposes dismembering children, the people who oppose dismembering children before the people who support dismembering children. Um, just allow that, that expression of passion about what you believe and what you believe went wrong over the last three years to go towards the candidate who actually put his money where, the, where his mouth was when the time mattered. And then make sure that you're supporting preborn children after that down ballot. Absolutely. And, and obviously, I, I'm going to say that... that defending preborn children should be a little bit higher on the ballot. Um, but but I think that it, it makes sense why for many people, this has been a very present, very um, personal experience for them over the last three years here. Um, and I think that, that there's a, a very good reminder to be had on um, what abortion is. And, and I would encourage anybody who thinks that abortion should be something very low on their ballot to uh, go watch a video of what abortion does to a preborn child. Um, because hopefully that will put it a little bit higher on your ballot, especially when you consider the, the thousands, over 10,000 abortions that are performed in, in Alberta every year. Um, obviously, Cam, you and I are on the same page on that, um, yeah. <laughs> given that you work for a pro-life organization um, doing politics. And I, I know exactly what you mean. Um, tell me a little bit about, um, as we start to wrap up here, uh, so we talked a little bit about Todd. Tell me a little bit about Travis, because I, I know many of the, the very good men and women in politics that I have long known and supported, many of whom I was introduced to through the Wilberforce approach to people like Mark Smith, people like um, um, Dan Williams and, and others have been big supporters of Travis Taves. Tell me a little bit about him and what he brings to the table and why he should be somebody who's at the top, if not near the top, or near the top, if not at the very top of a ballot when we're thinking about our pro-life convictions translating into pro-life action in Alberta politics. Yeah, I really like uh, Travis, actually. One of the one of the things that attracts me the most to Travis is he's the kind of person who, when he tells you something, he follows through on it. And he won't promise you anything that he can't reasonably guarantee he's going to be able to do. And so I have all the time in the world for a person who's a little more incremental, a little more conservative on, the pol on policy than what I believe we could actually get done right now. Uh, when they're that way, because they want to make sure that they're going to keep their word on everything that they say. And so even though I, I think, you know, uh, that a candidate, for example, in this round, I think a policy for defunding abortion would have been, would have gone over very well with the electorate in the UCP. Um, no candidate proposed that. 
the reason Travis didn't, in my opinion, probably is because he didn't think that that was something that he could have, that he could do, that he could execute on if he became premier. And therefore he wasn't going to say it out of principle. Um, but he, the things that he did say are really solid pro-life stuff. Uh, he promised a government bill for euthanasia to, uh, for conscience rights as a government bill. So it wouldn't be a private member's bill passed on. It'd be a bill that all members of the party are expect in the legislature are expected to vote for. Um, he has uh, talked about increasing support for women experiencing uh, crisis pregnancies, making sure that those resources are available for them there. And finally, the people that he surrounded himself with, right? Uh, you know, as I say, as you said, Dan Williams, uh, Joseph Scow, these are really, really good pro-life guys. Uh, and so that that inner core team when he wins is going to be the team that he brings with him into the premier's office. And when you have people in the premier's office who share our values, that's when you can start getting all those small little victories that you need to really prepare the way for big ones like defunding abortion. And so I think that Travis is a, a candidate who understands what it takes to get things done in politics uh, because he's been the uh, finance minister for the last three years. He's a guy who has a lot of, uh, I have all the time in the world for his character because, you know, he's, I does what he says and says what he, he's going to do. And uh, he, he's got a lot of really, really good policy that is important for the pro-life movement, necessary for the pro-life movement at this stage to win on these policies so that we can move on to the next one. So, I mean, Travis Taves is, should be in the top two of everyone's ballot, in my opinion. Every pro-lifer should put Travis Taves in the top two. Um, if you don't like where he was on COVID, then put Todd Lone, who's another really solid pro-lifer, as your number one. But make sure you put Taves number two, right? Once again, you have to put the person who opposes dismembering children ahead of the person who supports dismembering children. Boom. Love it. Love it. Okay. As a last question here, and, and I'm, I'm sure we can go on all day, but this is going to be one that I'm sure could we could spend hours talking about anyways. But thinking ahead to whatever the results are to um, – this this nomination. Say we get either or one of one of your three candidates that you've talked about, um, Travis Taves, Brian Jean, or Todd Lowen elected as leader of UCP. Presumably mm -hmm. forms government whenever the provincial election happens. There's a lot of things that Jason Kenney did wrong while he was in office. And we don't need to go into the entire rap sheet, but I Jason Kenney, similar to um Andrew Scheer, similar to countless other conservative people that we have elected to be leaders, and then whether we've forgotten about them and just trusted they were going to do all the right things without our help or without our, our badgering or without our um, borderline harassment, um, don't harass your politicians, but but badgering them is, is totally legit in my humble opinion. Um, say we get one of these pro-life people or, or open and supportive of the pro-life movement um, elected. What do we need to do to make sure that we don't have four years of a very personally pro-life premier like Jason Kenney get elected, but not see any traction. I, I'm sure that it's far more complicated than that. I'm sure that it wasn't just Jason, for, Jason Kenney forgetting everything that he had ever um, believed and intentionally not doing pro-life stuff. I know that it's more complicated than that. How do pro-lifers make sure that once they elect a pro-life leader, pro-life stuff actually happens and we don't just spend four years with Travis Taves as leader, eight years, whatever, Travis Taves, leader of the UCP. We had no um, pro-life legislation done. Maybe we don't have another pandemic thing, but we don't actually get any pro-life stuff done. How do we actually make sure pro-lifers that once we get our guy, once we get our guy in office to that guy or gal, obviously, um, does what we want them to do? Does that make sense? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll push back a little. Jason Kenny, uh, yep. you can say it's low standards or whatever you want to say, but the fact is, Jason Kenny is the most pro life premier in terms of the public policy he's put in put in place in my his in my lifetime, anyways, that I'm aware of. Um, okay. uh, Jason Kenny got the NDP to tacitly admit that abortion kills a human being, uh, and he put in, in place supports for preborn ch- for women experiencing crisis pregnancy for the first time. He put in government programs for that. His uh, his throne speech got a wildly pro-abortion lieutenant governor to use the word. Uh, unborn baby, which I, I think is absolutely legendary. Uh, Trudeau forced a lieutenant governor on Alberta that was hostile to Alberta, and then <laughs> Jason Kenney took the advantage to uh, took advantage of the situation to put a very very socially conservative speech in her mouth. Um, but the reality is, as you as you said, there's only so much that the premier's office really can be expected to do to go on a limb here, if the premier's alone. And that was one of the problems that uh, that we faced was that. In this legislature, as pro-life as this legislature was compared to any legislature, certainly since the 90s, um, as pro-life as it was, we still faced uh, the problem that even 15, 20 UCP MLAs, which is, you know, a quarter of a caucus, if they're not on side, we still can't get things passed. And so, you know, a quarter of the caucus was able to veto any pro-life any move towards the pro-life's uh, position, uh, unless it was something that even they had to concede was was desirable. And so the best way to support a premier who's pro-life and allow him the freedom to advance his agenda, to the pro-life agenda, is by making sure we surround him with good MLAs. Uh, and you, you do that by getting involved in the nomination process, by being willing to put your name forward to make the sacrifice and it's a, for a lot of people, it's a massive sacrifice to run for public office. Your name gets thrown in the mud. It's a lot of work. It's not great pay. But ultimately, somebody needs to do it if we're going to have the votes that we need to get to change this thing. Uh, and so running for public office, getting involved, making sure that the, the pro-lifers who do run for public office get nominated. So volunteering, voting for them. Uh, that's the way that we're going to build the support for the candidate, for the leader, uh, so that they can then go about uh, getting pro-life bills passed uh, and ultimately saving preborn lives. Bingo. Love it. You're a gentleman and a scholar. I, I appreciate it. I, I think that um, while there's always fair critique of our politicians, I, I think it's important. And, and I'm curious, actually, kind of as a final wrap up uh, around the analogy of like politicians are something of tools. You got to get the right tool in your hand. But if the hand of the people is not continuing to not not necessarily apply pressure to the tool, but but influence the tool to continue seeking what they want. I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that Jason Kenney probably received more, not encouragement, but more direction from the very small minority of radical pro-abortion people in Alberta than he probably did from pro-lifers. Certainly mm-hmm. in a formal, productive sense, maybe, maybe he got more Twitter call-outs from pro-lifers who were frustrated by his lack of of production or whatever. But is is it fair to say that, that a pro-lifer's job is not done by getting their elected official, whether the premier or whether an MLA or whether it's, it's whomever it may be, getting them elected, that, that there's so much that needs to be done even on the lobbying side, on the encouragement, on the direction, on the engagement, on the um, staying involved in politics, that it can't be something that we do 
once every four years by just um, Xing a box in the ballot box, but it also can't be something that we do for three months every four years by getting involved in a nomination. I, I don't want to say that, sorry guys in, in the audience, but you have to be involved in politics 24 seven, but is, is it fair to say that politicians are something of a tool in the hand of the populace that the hand needs to be present for that tool to do work in the direction that the hand wants it to go? Is that fair to say? Yeah. And it, it's, it's very human. So if you feel like you're alone and if your colleagues only ever hear from one side of it, so you're, you're a principled, good pro-life guy, right? You get elected, you go into the legislature uh, and only the other side talks to anybody on your side, only the other side, right? And when your side talks to them, it's only ever like the harshest of criticism, even though you're there quietly fighting for the pro-life, you, you get killed, they're called baby killer. You get all the nasty, mean stuff thrown at you. Um, when the time comes and they're debating in caucus how their party and how their their group is going to respond to a particular bill that's forward or to a particular issue, uh, and you stand up and make a pro-life speech, how confident are you going to be? How much conviction is there going to be in your voice when you know you're just going to be kicked around by everybody? And when you know that everyone in the car and, and that you're who's listening to you just thinks that this is a hopeless cause because nobody agrees with you, right? You, you're what you believe is possible, that the windows of what you personally believe is possible in politics start shrinking very, very, very rapidly. And that's just, that's human, right? Politicians, I mean, as much as they are tools, they're also human beings. Uh, and so when you reach out to them and say, hey, you know, I noticed your speech the other week on, on was, a, was a good pro-life speech. Like, thank you so much for that. That's really good. That means the world to them. Like, that's just like a, a ray of light into their lives because they're just used to being dumped on all the time. And that's not, not, not a bad thing. I mean, criticizing public officials is part of our democracy. That's, that's how it works. So uh, reach out to them, encourage them to do the right thing, and then encourage them when they do the right thing. Uh, and staying in touch with them, stay in communication with them. If you're on their nomination team, they're actually going to respond to your texts when you communicate with them when they're elected, because they're going to know who you are. They're going to remember your name. Uh, and they're going to actually want to have an answer to everything that you ask them because they believe they owe it to you. And so, yeah, stay in touch with them, stay involved. Love it. For the past and for the future too, right? They, if, if you've been a part of their, their nomination team and they're going to have to stay elected next, next election, they're going to want you back dropping off literature again and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, Cam, we're going to drop a, a link to the Wilberforce Project in, in the description below. Um, anything else that people should know about TWP and how to get plugged in to TWP whether it's internships, whether it's events, whether it's just learning about getting involved in the political process, where do people go? What should they know? Yeah, the information's on our website. Make sure that you sign petitions because uh, that's our way of knowing who agrees with us on the issues and then we can reach out to you and talk to you about those issues. So make sure that you sign the petitions. Make sure that you're on our email list so that we can stay in touch with you and we can let you know when important stuff is happening. Boom. You're the man. Um, say thanks. hi to everyone at the TWP team for me. Um, and thanks a ton for joining me uh, here on this episode. I hope that all of our audience have enjoyed this conversation. Thanks so much, Cam. Really appreciate it. That's Cam Wilson, ever a friend, ever a politician as well. I love him a bit, um, even though um, he he is one of the, the silver linings to the world of politics, in my humble opinion. I love hanging out with Cam. He's a great guy. He gives some good insight as well. Um, and I hope that you enjoyed that conversation as well, regardless of whether you um, are on board with, with all of the stuff that the different leadership candidates are espousing. I hope that you can see with, with a little bit clearer vision, if you're in Alberta, um, 
who who a, a strong choice could be for the pro-life issue. I know that Cam mentioned a couple of them there. I want to urge people as much as possible. I get that personal freedoms are very much at the front of many of our minds. I want to encourage to bring preborn children back to the forefront of our minds as well. We can't forget them in the midst of what has obviously been a very trying, very, very frustrating, very dangerous at times, a couple of years for many people living in Alberta and around the world. I don't want to undermine um, what people have gone through, but I want to elevate and remind people the importance of the abortion issue, particularly as we go into ballot boxes and particularly as we go into conversations about abortion, because that's what this is all about, folks. It is all about um, having meaningful, productive conversations about abortion. And if we can use a conversation about the UCP leadership um, as a bridge into a conversation about abortion, all the better. Thanks a ton for tuning in. Check out more content, um, ProLifeGuys.com. Check on our YouTube page. If you want to help us, put boots on the ground. We have incredible staff members. We have incredible interns to come every summer. We have other programs that we try to subsidize for students and other people so they can learn how to be better pro-life advocates. If you want to help us put more boots on the ground, please go to patreon.com slash ProLifeGuys um, and sign up to be a supporter either in one-time capacity or monthly capacity. Um, I'll be hooking you up with some cool stuff coming up shortly here and um appreciate you tuning in may god bless you abundantly wherever you're at and however many hours in the day are left wherever you may be thanks so much mm-hmm.